We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We recorded this episode on Wednesday, December 13th, following the Chicago Bears getting a really a statement win on Sunday against the Detroit Lions, winning 28-13 at Soldier Field. Um, really a game where the Bears really showed out in all three phases, you said. You know, I was at the game with Zach um, for this one, and um, it, it was really impressive to watch in person. You know, it was close for the first half. You know, it felt like the Lions going into halftime. We're starting to get some momentum on the Bears, and you kind of got that queasy feeling in your stomach like, oh, man, the Bears started off with this game so well. They got the early lead on the first drive. The Lions march right back down the field on two drives to end the half, and you're going into halftime thinking, oh, man, we've gotten some rough, rough possessions. You know, Justin Fields, you know, he had a strong start, but then <clears throat> rough lap last couple of drives there, and you're thinking, oh, man, this might, this might go off the rails. But in the second half, man, uh, this, this Bears team really put it all together. The defense was outstanding. The offense made enough plays. Really, this game felt like it should have been um, even more of a decisive win for this Bears team when you think about it. But, you know, coming off this performance, you said, how are you doing today, man? And, um, yeah, let's let's just get into it. You know, I'm doing well. It's crazy because you're sitting here in mid-December. It's hard to believe that there's only – Four games left in a season that's literally been a roller coaster ride for the Bears. But you talk about that game on Sunday afternoon against Detroit. I mean, it was, in a sense, you could argue a summary of what the Bears season has been, right? In terms of really bright spots, really bright moments, some moments that make you want to go ahead and say, yeah, this is why this coaching staff needs to be fired. And then kind of just in the end altogether, the signature play being the 14-13 that Justin Fields and DJ Moore connected on for the touchdown to kind of 
ice the game. I know the Bears scored once or twice after that, but it kind of just felt like that fourth and 13 right there to put the Bears up six or seven points was the cherry on top for this team. And then you just look at the way that both sides of the ball played because you can sit here and you can kind of be critical and nitpicky and say, well, the offense missed these three, four, or five opportunities, right? You can sit there and say, yeah, well, the defense – especially Jaquan Brisker, who played lights out, by the way, and had 17 total tackles, but he also had three dropped interceptions, I should say. Um, Both sides of the ball played really good. So there's always going to be kind of that cliche, generic, yeah, you know, there's something that we can always improve on, but this was probably, if you were to make an argument, the most complete game we've seen in the Fields, Getsy, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles era. Absolutely. I mean, this is the best win of this regime so far. I mean, this really felt like redemption for a few weeks ago when the Bears were in a similar situation against this same Lions team, except it was at Ford Field. You know, they had the lead on them late. They really you know, dominated the game from start to about halfway through the fourth quarter, and then they just blew it at the end there when they really should have shut the door on this Lions team. And this time, you know, they were able to finish the, the job. Uh, the defense especially, um, really fantastic in the second half. I did my story on them after the game. Um, they didn't allow a first down on the first five possessions of the second half. Like, they were – it was three and out, three and out, like three straight three and outs to start it. You get the fumble from Jared Goff um, you know, on the botch snap that ended up leading to a turnover there and then another, you know, another possession where uh, they got the stop on fourth down on um, what was basically a turnover on downs. So like, this defense was just locked in in this one. Um, I mean, you're, you can really see the effect that Montez Sweat has started to make on this defense, and it took a little bit to kind of get going, um, you know, after that first game against New Orleans. But, um, I mean, yeah, they've had a favorable schedule in terms of the type of quarterbacks that they've been playing um, since they've made the trade. But overall, I mean, the early returns on this one is that it's been a really impactful move by Ryan Poles in his front office. And, um, it's really helped get this defense back on track to where, look, early in the year, this was a type of game where you just knew that this Bears defense would blow it at some point because they just lacked that ability with the with the pass rush to really finish games, and the secondary is still coming together. Well, the secondary has gotten healthier. They're playing much better together, and now this pass rush is actually starting to get some bite to it. I know it helps that Jared Goff is a literal statue back there and it makes it really easy to get after him when he won't move. But um, yeah, I mean, really, really impressive stuff. I mean, there really aren't too many negatives. I mean, Justin Fields, we can talk about him real real quick before we get into some of the storylines coming out of this game. Um, Justin Fields, I felt like, you know, solid game overall. You know, he had some spectacular plays, um, had some misses as well. I felt like he left, honestly, watching it live and then going back and watching the tape. I do feel like he left quite a bit still um, on the field on Sunday, um, but certainly not a bad game by any means. Like it was a, it was a pretty solid game um, overall for him, which is, you know, all you can say, um, all, all you can ask for him, I, I guess, you know, co- a couple of things that really stood out. I mean, he had that one thirty yard scramble where it looked like he, the Lions had him dead the rights um, near their own end zone. Um, and he just got out of it, did a Houdini act and, and had a big play out of it. And, the, really the biggest play of the game was the fourth down touchdown to DJ Moore where, you know, they catch him offside. Aiden Hutchinson, for whatever reason, is, is you know, trying to rush the passer on that play. It made no sense 
for the Lions to even attempt to make a play on defense there. Because talking to the players in the locker room after the game, pretty much it was pretty much unanimous that like they were not planning on running a play. They were planning on just taking the delay of game and you know punting the ball. And the Lions just gifted them that opportunity. And Justin Fields made a heck of a throw to DJ Moore and took advantage of it. Um, I mean, those are really a couple of the biggest plays in this game. That that one in particular was the one that really got the Bears going in terms of, um, oh man, the Bears have a chance to really win this one and not just hang around against this Lions team. Um, yeah, I mean, just a really good effort overall. The offense, I mean, had some some moments where it stalled, but overall, like, it, I I thought it was a pretty pretty solid day for the offense as a whole. And there are two things, two real quick things I kind of want to say here before we move on. But number one, I mean, I mentioned Jaquan Brisker earlier, but can we just start for um can we just start from this moment onwards, right? Can we start talking about TJ Edwards as being one of the best defenders on the Bears, especially in terms of his production? Because yeah, you know, he only had against Detroit whatever four total tackles right but there's been stretches this season where he's just consistently been really good right and he's now had 131 combined tackles this year which if you honestly look at how much the bears signed him for to play that will linebacker spot i mean three years at whatever i think it's like 20 million a year is honestly phenomenal value which Again, this just sort of speaks to Ryan Pohl's roster building philosophy and how he's not going to go ahead and overpay for a specific guy that is on the free agent market. And then the second thing is this, is if you look at some of the other players on this defense, I mean, Tyreek Stevenson is really coming along here. And with Tyreek Stevenson, it's getting to a point where every time I've been at Soldier Field this year for the home games and every time I've kind of just listened to him speak, you see this natural confidence that is growing. And you see this guy who is even keeled, knows and understands that he's a rookie and that he can't bite off more than he's actually able to go ahead and chew. And you're seeing a guy who is really settling into being incredibly comfortable. And then how about Jalen Johnson as well? Now people want to sit here and they want to say, okay, well he has had multiple dropped interceptions this season, but he has all played a really solid game on Sunday. And I think ultimately with him too, it's just another major thing where he's essentially earning his payday as the undisputed leader of the secondary. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This secondary has really, really started to come on. Like Jalen Johnson, he, he's legitimately been like, I, I don't know if he's been the best corner of football this year, but he's been a top five corner this year with how he's played. He's been fantastic. I mean, you have the interception he had on Sunday, perfectly baiting out that throw, reading it perfectly. Um, and, you know, Jared Goff just threw a duck up to him. But, hey, you got to take advantage when you're out there. And even when he's not getting interceptions, like he's just been – um, as locked down as you can be on the outside. He's been fantastic. You know, Brisker had a big performance. You know, I've I've been hard on Brisker, but um, he's a guy who, you know, brings a lot of energy um, to the defense. You know, he, he brings a physicality to the secondary that they do kind of need. And while he's not the greatest coverage player all the time, you know, he was all over the field on Sunday as well. I think he had like 17 tackles or something like that. Like he was he, – he was – really really getting after it 
uh, on Sunday. Really, this entire defense was. And, you know, Kyler Gordon started to come along. You know, in the uh, in the slot there, Tyreek Stevenson, Terrell Smith, both as young developing outside corners. And you know, Eddie Jackson, you know, he's he's clearly not the same guy. He's probably not going to be here next year um, when you consider the cap hit and all that stuff. But he's still a veteran. He's still out there. He's playing well. Um, the secondary, yeah, it's just really dang solid. Really dang good all across the board. And like I said before, the, the pass rush is really starting to come together. Defensive line in general is really starting to uh it's really starting to flash. And you got, you know, Dexter starting to make plays now um more consistently. You know, Andrew Billings is a is a brick house there in the interior. Montez Sweat, I mean, really puts this entire thing together right now. You know, I still think they need another guy or two to really bring this group to the next level, but it's really encouraging. And, you know, speaking of getting that next guy, I guess one of the things coming out of this game that we can talk about here is, you know, the Bears are going to be losing a significant part of this pass rush. Well, I guess significant in terms of a guy getting a lot of snaps. Um, that's Yannick Ngakwe, who uh, we found out had a, has a broken ankle coming off of this game from from Sunday. And, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty significant loss for this Bears team because, you know, they really need that other edge rusher um, to really balance out what Montez Sweat brings on the other side. And you typically don't want DeMarcus Walker pass rushing from the edge too much. You want him kicked inside where he's most effective. So this is going to impact the Bears pass rush, I think, a little bit. Although, honestly, like with the way Ngakwe has been playing this year, I, I'm not sure if like they're going to miss his production all that much outside of like who's the next guy out that's really going to make that much of a difference on this unit we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And this is where when the Bears cut Travis Gibson back in the summer, you're like, hey, I would sure as hell love to have Travis Gibson on my team right now. But again, it's not like you can anticipate injuries happening anyway. Now, Yannick Ngakwe, to me, was a very intriguing player to watch all season. And it's because you're bringing a guy in who has had near double-digit sacks most of his career. But then you also just kind of factor in his story and how he got into the league in terms of being a third-round pick of Jacksonville in 2017 and then splitting time between the Raiders and the Colts and the Ravens and then ending up in Chicago finally and signing that one-year $10 million deal, which, again, I will be honest, at the time and 
I was at Hallis Hall when he was introduced for training camp. But at the time, you're like, okay, you know, they signed this guy for one year, $10 million, and you kind of had to overpay him because there was nothing else out there that really would have juiced up your pass rush. But you talk about his impact, and in the locker room, he was a well-liked guy, but it was still kind of limited just because on the field – Teams would just run right at him because they knew how much of a liability he was when it came to the running game. And then you also look at just kind of how he played. There was never really enough high level of consistency to warrant making the $10 million a year. And speaking of this thing in the grand scheme of things, I mean, this is a team where in another basically five to six weeks, they're going to have to start making well, they will have roster decisions to make about who's coming back and who's not. And quite frankly, now that you have Montez Sweat and you've got a pretty solid class of edge rushers coming up along with two first-rounders, I mean, I would not rule out this team moving on from Yannick Ngakwe entirely. Yeah, he's not coming back next year. I think that's pretty safe to say. Like, there, There's going to be a bigger market for edge rushers in the offseason. Certainly the draft as well. There's going to be some intriguing guys in the draft. Like I would imagine they're going to find a way to fill this role with a different guy moving forward here. Um, and just look at the big picture of things. Like it just, it makes no sense to bring him back. He's just, he hasn't been very productive this year and it's unfortunate, but it sucks that his season's going to end this way, but Hey, you know, the bears, they've been lucky with their health recency recently and, you know, now this is going to open up opportunities for guys like Dominic Robinson to get back into the lineup, lineup and see if he can do anything out there as a second-year player. Like, you know, you got to hope that young guys can kind of take advantage of that situation right here. Hey, maybe you can even um, experiment with Javon Dexter rushing off the edge at this point. Might as well at this point in the year. Um, I'd, li- I'd love to see some looks where you can see some of that. So um, definitely – Definitely looking forward to see how they handle that situation uh, with Ngakwe out, but we'll see how it goes. But speaking of the big picture here, you say let's kind of, you know, zoom out a little bit and look, looking at the Sunday game, obviously big win against the Detroit Lions, um, a team that is, you know, first place in the division, although they played some pretty rocky ball um, in recent weeks. Um, but still they're a playoff team. Um, they're, they're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix of things you'd imagine over the next couple of years here. And right now we have two games in a row against this team where the bears have put out a really strong effort in both of them, you know, losing one in the first time, but then winning in this matchup, this go around, um, you know, what, what did we learn about this bears team on Sunday? Do you think big picture wise? I mean, there is a lot to really go ahead and unpack here. And perhaps the biggest thing that we've learned, and again, we've seen shades of this this season. You go back and you look at week four against Washington was a major example. But what you learned about the Bears in this week 14 matchup is that Luke Getze can call a game okay Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields they can also coexist together they also have a plan for how they want to make 
this thing into a well-oiled machine. And I say those three things simply because you look at Sunday, well, the play calling was pretty solid for the most part. And everyone, well, let me take a step back. So no one really criticizes play calling when teams are scoring and teams are putting up points. But when things aren't necessarily working, everyone just wants to kind of go ahead and throw the play caller under the bus without actually factoring in things such as your personnel on the field, who is executing, who's not executing, what looks are the defense showing you, or is the defense showing you, I'm sorry. And the tough part about play calling is people don't realize, I think, how much really goes into it. And I say that because you have, you know, your offense – And then within the offense, you have a certain number of formations. Within that certain number of formations, you've got a handful of personnel groupings. Within those handful of personnel groupings, you've got a certain number of plays that you can run. And again, there may be a few variations here and there. And then within that, you have your set of plays that can basically flip, okay, to run to one side or the other side of the field. And then within that, you know, you've basically got in a single play call, you've got everything from formation to routes, to protections, to, you know, who's supposed to be going into motion when, and at how many yards and at what splits are your players supposed to be lining up at. So there's so much that kind of goes into it, but Sunday showed that gets, he's able to call play. It also showed that, these three, they have a plan to go ahead and coexist together. And even if this Bears team finishes the year, let's just say seven and 10, let's say, or six and 11, I mean, knowing how strong they are this season makes you think, yeah, there's a 50% chance that they're probably back next year, which a lot of people don't want to hear. But it, you're going to be hard pressed to run it back with Fields next year and give him to a new coaching staff. I mean, I think if you're going to start over, you start over with pretty much starting over with everybody. Well, I would imagine that Ryan Pohl's job is safe. I think that's pretty much a guarantee at this point. Like a lot of his draft picks and acquisitions have really started to pan out. I mean, the DJ Moore trade in and of itself has just been a a masterstroke from him. The Montez sweat trade has looked like it's paying dividends early on. Um, you know, some of the draft picks, Dexter started to come along. Wright's been coming along. He's been good this year. Stevenson started to come along a little bit. Um, and then the guys they drafted last year, like Braxton Jones and Kyler Gordon has been pretty solid. Jaquan Brisker has been, you know, pretty solid. Like there's a, there's a lot of good things you can point to that Ryan Pulse has done. And when you look at the draft pick situation they're, they're in and, you know, the cap space situation they're in. Um, the future is looking bright for them no matter what route they take in terms of the quarterback decision, right? Because, look, if they decide that Justin Fields has shown enough to be the guy moving forward here, um, they're going to get a huge haul for that Carolina Panthers pick, which is going to be number one overall. Teams are going to be looking to go up and get Caleb Williams and or Drake May, um, you'd assume. Um, and you're in a situation where the Bears were if you decide to commit to Justin Fields, um, you can get an absolute haul for that number one overall pick. And the op- in the situation where you decide to move on from Justin Fields and go with a Caleb Williams or Drake May, um, you should be able to get a pretty decent trade value for Justin Fields. Like I, I would imagine a second round pick, maybe a conditional pick in 2025. Um, 
like either way, like you're you're getting some draft picks for that quarterback situation right there, and you're setting yourself up once again with more draft capital to keep on adding young talent to this roster, right? So they're in a really good spot right now, just based off of the process they had to really tear this thing down and build it back up again. And we're starting to see this roster really start to come together. It's not a it's not a finished product yet, but it is starting to come together slowly but surely here. And that's been reflected with much more competitive play in recent weeks. Now, in terms of the head coach and that whole thing, I think you kind of nailed it in terms of, look, it's, it, in my opinion, it, this is probably not how the Bears are going to operate because it's just what the Bears do. But I think you're right in the sense that, like, what you decide to do with your head coach and quarterback and vice versa should impact the other, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily fair, but – it's like you can't go into 2024 and commit to Justin Fields and then give him another offensive coordinator to work with or another head coach to work with, right? And at the same time, it's like, got, uh, you know, Eberflus has done a really nice job with this defense, but do you trust him to develop, you know, a new young quarterback? It, it all goes into it, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting situation to kind of keep track here. Um, you know, I will say in terms of Luke Getze, like I would imagine that he's gone regardless because his offense is just underwhelmed for very large portions of this season. And the play calling at times has just been really just off. I do think he had a nice game play calling wise on Sunday. Like I said before, Justin Fields did leave some throws on the table there. That should have been, um, that should have been touchdowns or big plays in the passing game um, that he either just did not see the open guy or, just missed a throw, uh, which happens to, to a lot of great quarterbacks, um, you know, admittedly. But I thought Gessie called a really, really good game on Sunday. But I, I can't imagine you bring him back next year with all the things that we've seen this year just that, that have been problematic. You know, we'll, we'll see how this works out, though, because this coaching staff is certainly, if they can keep this up, they're going to have a lot to sell to ownership and to Ryan Poles on being the guys here for next year and saving their jobs. I mean, th that was really why they went out and they decided to trade for a Montez Sweat, right? A lot of it, some of it was for next year and the future, obviously, because they got the extension done. But I think some of it as well was, you know, a little bit of this regime wanting to save their position here with the Bears. And we're starting to see that come to fruition a little bit here. Um, you know, in terms of like the rest of this season, Four games left. You're playing the Cleveland Browns next week. You got Atlanta, you got Arizona, and you got Green Bay. You know, the Bears, for all the drama and the roller coaster that this season has been, they're in playoff contention now, right? They're in the hunt, technically. They have a 5% chance, I think, last I saw in terms of the, the analytic models of, of making the playoffs. They're, they're pretty low on the list in terms of tiebreakers, so they're going to lose a tiebreaker battle on, on a lot of these teams, so that definitely goes against them there, but they have a chance here to finish the season strong and really make a push to make it to the playoffs. If they can keep on playing um, this way, going into the end of the season, um, you say looking at this schedule here, like what do you think the chances are that they're able to pull this off and win out to finish the year? It is. So when you're sitting here at five and eight, I mean, you're kind of on the outside looking in, and I believe it's Green Bay that occupies that final playoff spot, 
which if you watch the Packers play against the Giants on Monday, we saw the old Jordan Love come back and the Jordan Love that a lot of us are used to seeing, even though he's drawn some praise from me at points of this year too. But the reality is that they face this really uphill climb. Like if I was going to sit here and again, I'm not going to factor in, you know, all the ESPN FPI models and all the advanced analytics that are out there. I would say the bears have like, let's just say a 5% chance of genuinely making the playoffs because to make the playoffs, you're doing two things. Number one, you are winning out and then you need to receive a lot of help. But unfortunately, the tough part about it is that if we look at the entire kind of playoff picture here, and yes, the Bears haven't officially been eliminated just yet, but that could change here with any sort of loss over the next basically two weeks. It's it's really an uphill climb because the only teams that have been eliminated are Carolina from the NFC. And, you know, yes, the bears play Arizona. Okay. Yes. The bears have the tiebreaker over the commanders, the bears. However, they don't have the tiebreaker over the saints. They're set to play Atlanta later on in the year. And then they don't play the Rams at all, but you would just basically guess this is that if you had to bet right now, two teams that are probably going to sneak in are going to be the Rams and then Seattle for the bears i mean this a lot of this comes down to number one getting tons of help but the number two basically winning out and the big game is going to be beating green bay in week 18 yeah it really is going to come down to the end of the year really in that week 18 game against the packers isn't it you just know that's going to be the case right where it's the bears are going to be on this win streak going in and then the packers are going to you know, at Lambeau Field, going to break the Bears' heart because that's what's always going to happen, right? Um, but yeah, I think they're, you know, they are putting themselves in a good position here. The, the schedule really has lightened up for them. Um, you know, the Cleveland Browns right now, like just looking at the next week, like they're completely just, <laughs> just battered and bruised. And they have guys like going on injured reserve, like left and right over there. I don't know what's going on in Cleveland. Maybe it's karma for, um, the whole Deshaun Watson deal and all that stuff, but they just can't seem to catch a break in terms of injuries this season. They have a bunch of guys out going into the next week. They have Joe Flacco um, coming off, you know, the practice squad and, and starting games for them right now. Like somehow they're eight and five with you know all that going on. I know they they had a really their defense was lights out to start the year, but. As injuries have kind of you know started to to rack up here, they've really started to lose some steam over the past few weeks. So the Bears, you have to think that they have a chance going into that one, um, given how well they played in recent weeks. You know the Cardinals. We know that Kyler Murray being back does create a little bit of a wild card factor there. But the Cardinals, they're one of the worst rosters in the NFL. You would hope that the Bears would be able to you know win that game. But the Cardinals have been a scrappy team. You know, I, I I don't take anything away from them. They've been much more competitive, I think, with Kyler in the lineup there. They just had that win against the Steelers, which was pretty big for them um, in terms of that regime. And then, you know, the Falcons, the big thing for, for them is, like, Desmond Ritter's the quarterback. And if this Bears defense has proven anything, you could say, like, maybe it's been fool's gold with this this recent structure play because of the quarterbacks they played. Well, Desmond Ritter is maybe the worst starter in the NFL this year. So they're getting the benefit of another bad quarterback that they're, they're going to be going up against. 
as well. So that definitely is going to help them um, there. So you look at those three games. I mean, those are potentially three wins right there that you can go with. You know, Justin Fields continues to play decently well. Um, this offense continues to to do well. I'm around Justin Fields. Defense continues to ball. Like, yeah, they can go on to week 18 with a chance to win out here. I think it's very plausible. I'm not going to predict that. I And I'm going to, you know, show that in a second here. Um, but I do think it's it's a possibility. I think I, I think there is a reason for it. And, and if they end up winning out and potentially putting themselves in a position to make the playoffs, like there's no way this coaching staff isn't coming back, right? Because then you know they'd be showing a lot of development here this year and year two um, that we just frankly did not see early in the year. So there's there's a lot in the line for this Bears team, um, both short term and in the long term. I'm just excited to get to it. But we'll just see what happens there. It's, it's definitely going to be an interesting last month of the season for this team. And there is a lot at stake and a lot to talk about, which is definitely going to be make it for make it more fun for us as well. Um, but, you know, taking a break from the Bears discussion, let's get to some college football talk because we've had some college football news come out, uh, particularly with NFL draft declarations from some of these young prospects. So let's just get into some of the big names here that so far have declared for the NFL draft. Um, big one is obviously going to be Drake May of North Carolina, officially declaring he's the first really big domino to fall, really, because he's one of the top two quarterback prospects that are projected to be in this draft class. Caleb Williams has not um, officially declared yet, but he's not playing in USC's bowl game. So you would assume that he's going to be declaring at some point soon. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts now that, that Drake may is officially going to be, you know, eligible to be drafted in this upcoming draft? I mean, to me, it's, I say this, Hey, let's let the fun begin because there's going to be, and again, there's already a lot of rampant debate throughout the regular season in college football about who the better prospect is. To me, it was really this double-edged sword because you have at the start of the year and your summer preseason predictions, it was all about Caleb Williams. Well, when you got to mid-October, let's say halfway through the season, some of the Caleb Williams hype started dying down, and then it sort of became this Drake May hype train. Now, what I think is ultimately going to determine this kind of upcoming draft is what exactly as a talent evaluator do you prioritize when it comes to the quarterback position what exactly does your coaching staff prefer do you prefer a guy who's going to keep plays alive but also make a lot of backyard football plays a lot of highlight reel throws such as a Caleb Williams a guy who needs sort of a set structure to operate but then when that structure breaks down has proven he can be a legit playmaker or are you going to go with someone that is a really natural playmaker, a guy that can fit into multiple NFL offenses in the sense that he can run everything from what Andy Reid's West Coast offense looks like to the Kyle Shanahan inside-outside zone schemes where you are getting a blend of some inside and outside zone plus some West Coast elements, or are you going to be the type of quarterback and the type of offense that says, yeah, you know, 
we are going to take some of the things that he's done in college, what he's done well, put them into our playbook too to really go ahead and get him comfortable. So it's this kind of scenario here where if I had to say right now, I mean, I will tell you Drake may, I believe is better than Caleb Williams, but it's not like he's head and shoulders better because it just ultimately, like I said, for teams is going to come down to what they value in the quarterback position. Yeah. It's going to be a discussion we have all off season long between the two, but I mean, Drake may, he's the prototype, right? He's six foot four, 230 pounds, Big, strong dude, big frame, big arm. <laughs> He's got an absolute cannon um, of a right arm. And he plays the position a little bit more traditionally than Caleb Williams, where he's a bit more in structure. He does have the ability to go off structure when needed. He's not as natural of a playmaker as Caleb Williams is. Obviously, he doesn't really have the ability to make all the crazy throws and all these crazy arm angles and all that stuff. Like it, it, Caleb Williams is a much more elastic thrower than Drake May. Um, who is a little bit more, I wouldn't say robotic, but more technical in his approach to the position than um, Caleb Williams. He's, he's not as natural out there um, playmaking, but he can do it at times. But, I mean, a lot of NFL front offices, and I've heard some rumblings as well, that, I mean, a lot of NFL front offices are going to prefer Drake May because he does fit that prototypical um, kind of template for what you want out of a quarterback, right? Where he's got all the traits, physical and mental. He plays position how you would expect a first-round quarterback, you know, projecting to the NFL to play the position. You know, he gets the ball out at a pretty decent rate. Um, you know, he's a guy who does a pretty good job pre-snap of, of knowing where to go with the football. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way too often, uh, which is going to be a big thing for a lot of coaches. You know, when you look at Caleb Williams, for instance, like he's a guy who fumbles quite a bit. He his his turnover-worthy plays really skyrocketed this year as he had to do a little bit more and put a little bit more on his plate with USC kind of falling apart around him. And a lot of teams are going to look at Drake May where his situation wasn't really good either. In fact, you could argue it was just as bad, if not worse, than Caleb Williams. And he was able to play more consistent football week to week and down to down than Caleb Williams. Williams was this year. Now I think Caleb Williams probably has the more upside of the two. You could argue maybe it's going to be an interesting conversation for sure because Caleb uh, Drake May, I should say, he is a fantastic prospect in his own right. He he doesn't seem to be getting the attention that Caleb Williams has gotten. Um, he's more of a laid back personality. It seems like you know UNC is not as glamorous of a school as USC, but I mean I'm I'm throwing it out there right now like. We got to also for Bears fans, like, stop making the Mitch Trubisky comparisons with Drake May. Like, just no, not not even close comparable as prospects. Like, Drake May is on a whole different level than Trubisky was. Like, Drake May was five star recruit, I believe. He was recruited by Alabama, was going to go to Alabama before he committed to UNC. Like, the only reason he's going to UNC is because his brother have all played, you know, at UNC as, as student athletes there. So there's kind of a tradition there within that family um, to where they want to play at the university. So, I mean, he, he's he's got all the goods, man. And, you know, once Caleb Williams decides to um, make his decision, it'll kind of put everything into place. But right now your top two draft picks are going to be Caleb Williams and Drake May in some order. 
And from there, the rest of the draft is going to play out however it does. And a few of the t- top prospects that are going to be in that conversation for after 1-2, um, a couple of those guys have declared as well. You got Joe Alt out of Notre Dame. Um, you know, he is not the consensus t- um, top offensive tackle prospect in this draft class, but he's right up there with Olu Fashano for t- top tackles. And, you know, with tackle not being as big of a need for the Bears now that you've got the ascension of Braxton Jones and, and done all right as your kind of two young tackles to kind of build around. It's not necessarily a need, but Joe all, you know, is certainly going to be one of the most sought after tackles in the draft with what he's bringing to the table as an all around player. You're right. And you look at Joe all, I mean, the guy is a giant is what he is. I mean, standing right around six foot eight, six foot nine, he's got this, and it just shows up on tape naturally, but this freaking huge wingspan. And when we get to the combine, I mean, I'm excited to see, you know, what his wingspan looks like and just kind of what the final measurements are, because that to me at the top of the draft this year with Joe Alt declaring creates this really interesting dynamic because everybody's focused on the quarterbacks. Everyone's focused on Marvin Harrison Jr. But the one position that has not gotten enough love has been the tackles to me with Joe Alt and Olu Fashanu, I mean the and then your guy from Oregon State whose name I cannot remember for the life of me for some reason. But to me, that creates this interesting dynamic in the sense that if you're a team that doesn't need a quarterback but you are picking high, and I'm not saying this is going to be the Bears, do you take a player like Olu Fashanu, knowing that? that's going to be a guy that's going to anchor your offensive line for the next 10 seasons, basically. I mean, looking at the draft right now, it's fair to go ahead and put Olu Fashanu, Penny Sewell, and Joe Alt kind of in the same tier because I genuinely believe that all three of those guys are just that good. I'm saying Penny Sewell as a rookie coming out of Oregon. There was a lot of hype around him that year and so far, I mean, he's lived up to the expectation and every single worth of it, but Joe Alt's again, a guy who's really good in the run game, really good in the pass game too, in terms of run blocking and pass protecting. And for a guy his size, you don't really see him you don't really see guys that size get to the second level as quickly and as efficiently as he does. So he's going to be a player that's going to transcend offensive schemes. Yeah, I think there there is going to be an argument for him as the top tackle in this tra- class. Like he is, he's really dang good. I'm excited to get more into the film of these two tackle prospects, and really this tackle class in general has just been it's it's fantastic at the top. Um, the first round is there are probably going to be five or six tackles that go in the first round of the draft, and you know it's tough to say with tackles whether they're going to be they're going to be ready to start right away in the NFL just because it takes these guys you know a few years to develop usually. Um, but Joel, he's one of those guys where he has been developing um, for a few years now at Notre Dame. He's going to be ready to go day one in the NFL and be a highly productive player. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Like I think Alt and Fashanu, they'd probably be the top two tackle prospects in last year's draft. And we all know, like I was a big Paris Johnson guy going into that draft. Our, obviously Darnell Wright has been a pretty, pretty dang good rookie so far for the bears. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of bears fans were, you know, very high on him going into the draft as well. And um, he, he certainly, proving to work out so far. So 
yeah, it's a really talented tackle class. And if you need a tackle, like this is a perfect draft to address that position. Um, some other draft, uh, notable draft prospects that have declared as well um, that are you know projected to be first round picks. You know, you got Jeremiah Schroeder, linebacker out of Clemson, and Nate Wiggins, cornerback out of Clemson. So two of the top guys in that Clemson defense are officially declaring for the NFL draft. Um, Nate Wiggins especially, he has a claim to be cornerback one in this class as well. So he's certainly an interesting name to keep uh, keep an eye on. Leonard Taylor, defensive tackle out of Miami, a guy who you know has had a lot of hype, former five-star recruit, um, great interior pass rusher prospect. Um, maybe didn't have quite the dominant year that a lot of people were expecting or hoping that he would have, but he is uh, a guy who's got some first-round buzz as well. And then another first-round player or first-round prospect, uh, Chop Robinson out of Penn State, just a really explosive, bendy edge rusher. Um, and another one of those Penn State just freak athletes that they always seem to produce at the NFL level. You know, Out of the big names there, you say, which one of those guys really stands out to you? I mean, to me, it is Chop Robinson. And you talk about Chop Robinson in terms of his career at Penn State. And there is, without a doubt, a lot to unpack. Because looking at him, you know, you're getting a guy that's your ideal prototype for an edge rusher, right? About six foot three, 240 pounds now. Kind of his first year at in college he was actually in maryland and then he transferred over to penn state for 2022 and 2023 and you know really the guy knows how to get into the backfield he's not going to be a player and produce a lot of tackles for loss he's never going to be the type of player that is going to produce a sack on every single play he's not necessarily anywhere close to Micah Parsons, okay, which I don't think any edge rusher that's declared over the last two to three years is, by the way, but you look at what he's been able to do, Chop Robinson, and it's been really, really impressive, and it's been off the charts. Now, to me, the personal favorite with Chop Robinson is just how effective he is when it comes to his ability to go ahead and just keep himself going, right? And just keep that motor running. Like that's the type of effort, intensity, the attitude, the tenacity that an NFL defensive coordinator is really going to go ahead and cover. So this is a guy who, you know, is going to come in and he won't have a massive impact from day one, but you'll just see him consistently pop off and generate tons of pressures and get into the backfield consistently. Yeah, Robinson, he's going to be an interesting player to follow. I'm excited to see his testing scores because Penn State, like I said before, they produce some really freak athletes in uh, their program there. So he, he's definitely a name to keep an eye on, as is a lot of these guys. And I'm excited to see like who else starts to declare um, in the next coming weeks and months, uh, and really next couple weeks. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this class, you know, really shapes out because we've we've seen some guys, uh, some pretty notable names go back as well that are they're going to be staying in school, um, and there's going to be a domino effect with some of these guys who um, end up making their decisions here. So certainly a lot to follow here um, over the next few weeks. But with that said, let's get to the final thing here for this podcast today, and that's uh, previewing this upcoming game for the Bears. Uh, going up against the Cleveland Browns at Cleveland. Um, you know, it should be, in my opinion, you say it, a pretty defensive-minded battle here where the Browns, 
Yes, they've had their struggles on defense in recent weeks, but there's there's a reason why they're still the number one defense by most metrics is that, you know, Miles Garrett is playing like a defensive player of the year candidate once again. You know, they got Sedarius Smith on that pass rush. They're one of the most ferocious defensive lines in the NFL. They have a good secondary overall. Um, and with Jim Schwartz coordinating that unit, they're a pretty scary uh, defense to go up against for this Bears offense and really uh, a really big test for them. So looking at this game, you say, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, this is honestly, it's a really good test for the Bears, actually. And it's a good test because I do believe that the Browns are just a more complete team than Detroit. The Browns 8-5 and five record just has them also playing an incredibly loaded conference. And let's be honest, I mean, how many teams do we know would be 8-5 and five, but also have four different starting quarterbacks in one given season? So that's something that we have to be incredibly honest about. Now, to me, you know, what this whole thing just comes down to is this is – what I want to see is this against a really good pass rush and against Miles Garrett. I mean, Justin Fields just constantly getting the ball out quick. That means that, you know, it just can't be DJ Moore against the secondary that features Grant Delpit and Denzel Ward. Can't just be DJ Moore making all the plays. The Bears have to get DJ Moore involved early and often. The Bears also have to go ahead and figure out a way to integrate Darnell Mooney into the offense because if we're going to be fully honest, I mean, this has been a really down year for Darnell Mooney. And then on top of that, what are you going to do as a play caller once again to go ahead and protect your young quarterback? And to me, that signals you start running more two tight end sets, essentially, because it is going to be a way for your offense to be successful. From a defensive standpoint, the game plan doesn't really change a whole lot, but you do have to go ahead and account for... Amari Cooper you do need to go ahead and account for the Browns running game and Nick Chubb and then the big other thing is this is can you go ahead and can you legitimately force three to four turnovers against the 38 year old Joe Flacco because if you can force turnovers and this offense can take advantage as Matt Eberflus loves to say you're playing complimentary football and you actually have a shot at winning this thing yeah I mean continue with the defense for me like Joe Flacco, it's kind of similar to what you get out of Jared Goff, right, where he's going to be a statue in the pocket. He's going to look to get the ball out quickly to either his first read or his check down. He's not going to hold the ball too long. So the secondary, they've got to be aggressive, um, you know, playing downhill on these receivers on any, you know, short routes or in-breaking route and and look to be physical at the catch point. Um, you know, your defensive line is going to have to, you know, look to push the pocket here and make Joe Flacco uncomfortable because you're probably not going to get too many opportunities to sack him just because of how quickly he typically tries to get the ball out um, at this stage in his career. Um, I think they'll be able to do it. Like the Browns are just down bad right now in terms of like their tackle situation. Like they have three tackles on injured reserve right now. It's ridiculous the amount of injuries the Cleveland Browns have have suffered through this year. Um, at so many key positions and key players. Um, the Bears should be able to take advantage. I would hope that Montez Sweat is able to have a big game in this one just because who was going to block him? Like They're probably going to try to double-team him as much as possible. But, uh, again, like, it's just it's a really bad matchup, I think, for the Browns' offensive line. I mean, the interior is really, really dang good still, um, and to be fair. But um, the tackle situation for them is just dire at this point in the year. Now, offensively for the Bears, I do have some question marks for this one. 
Because I'm I don't know what Getsy's plan is going to be. Like the Browns are not a high blitzing team. They rely on that front four to get after it, and they have gotten after it this year. And I think this is kind of a bad matchup for the Bears because Miles Garrett is a one man wrecking crew out there. Um, they have Zadarius Smith still playing at a pretty high level. Um, they've got some other guys on that defensive line um, that are pretty dang solid as well. And you know. <laughs> you know, look, the Bears offensive line has played much better in recent weeks, but like Braxton Jones, he still has his areas of concern in terms of handling power. Darnell Wright's still a rookie who is going to have his ups and downs throughout the course of a game. And they haven't seen pretty much since Max Crosby, they have not seen an edge rusher at this caliber in, in a pretty long time. So it's going to be a big challenge for them to handle that. And with Justin Fields, you know, pers- you know, tendency to hold on to the ball for a very long time. Like I feel like there's going to be more sacks in this game than you'd like to see unless Getsy just complete complains on going completely to his screen based, um, you know, game plan here, like he did against Minnesota. But even then that's not really going to work against this Cleveland team because they do have physical corners on the outside and they don't blitz a lot anyway. So it's not really a great game plan there. The only way you're really going to slow this team down is by using a lot of misdirection you know, bootlegs, play extra fakes, use the quarterback run game, um, and go from there. I, I think that's really the only thing that you can realistically do to really slow down this pass rush. But yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup because the Bears, you know, they they have probably the more talent on on this team now that the Browns are just so injured at this point. But the Browns are going to offer some some unique challenges to them. That that's for sure. So you said, let's get some predictions here. Who's your, who do you have winning this one? Who's your X factor? Yeah, so I'm gonna go with the Bears on this one. I think some way somehow they managed to pull off the upset, but I think it's gonna be a close one. So I'm gonna say Bears end up winning 24-21, and the X factor ends up being the offensive line, which has a really good game and perhaps its best performance of the year against the Cleveland defense. So this is a game that I'm terrified for because every single thing should be leaning for the Bears to win this game. They're playing their best football of the year. Um, they're trending in the right direction. The Browns are just injured. They just they have so many injuries to the point where you got to think that it's going to come back to bite them at some point. But this also screams a trap game to me in a sense where the Bears are coming off of probably their most emotional, like, ramped up game of the season um, coming off against this win against the Lions team. You you know, do you fear, you know, a little bit of a letdown here with this, with this game where they're not going to come out as, you know, into it and as intense and ready to go for this one. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not going to be, you know, prepared and ready to go, but it's one of those things where I'm just like, you know, the bears fan in me, who's just been traumatized by this team over and over again, just can't get over it. So, I have the Browns winning this one 15 to 13. I think it's going to be an old fashioned slugfest. I think both these offenses are going to struggle at times. You know, maybe Justin Fields makes a couple of dynamic plays with his legs or two, um, but it's also going to be, you know, not as advantageous of a, of a game for him because this Browns defense is athletic at all levels of the defense. So there'll be a better matchup for him than the lions. Um, and, you know, defensively, I think they should be able to handle Joe Flacco and this Browns offense, but you know, Kevin's fancy is a good coach in his own right from an offensive standpoint, and maybe he's able to you know scheme up some things here and there. 
Um, but overall, it's going to be a low-scoring game. But I think that favors the Browns in this matchup, man. I, th- I think they have – that. I really fear that pass rush against Justin Fields. I, I just – unless Justin Fields is getting out outside the pocket and on the run um, and getting the ball out quicker than he usually does, it could be a long day for him because he – even with you know his better play in recent weeks, he's still holding out to the ball a ton. And against Miles Garrett in this defense, that's not going to work. It, it just simply isn't. So he's going to have to you know adapt and be more, be more of a quick processor in this one. If he can, you know the Bears' offense should be able to make some plays. If he can't, though, it could be a long day. Um, but with that said, I mean that's going to wrap it up for us here um, here at Pixel Polls. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to uh, like, rate, subscribe, and review our podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Spotify, make sure to follow us on social media as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Pixar Polls, and you can follow the Bear Report at Bear Report. And you said, where can our listeners find you and find your work? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. You can check out my work on the Bear Report website as well. Absolutely. You can find me on the Bear Report as well. You can find my work um, there. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. Uh, you can give me a follow there as well. Um, looking ahead, it's going to be an interesting game coming up this weekend. Uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to more draft talk here as we get closer and closer to bowl season as well. But until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend and bear down. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.